Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the physical digital tiny room. I am the co-host of your Michael and Benjamin's podcast. I'm Michael, and I am joined by the man who has been called the World Cup Italia 90 of Irish podcasting, Ben. <laughs> Say hello. hello, Ben. Hello. You're a seminal moment in Irish cultural history. Aww. Oh, that's very nice of you, Michael. It wasn't supposed to be nice. It was supposed to just oh. be weird. All um, right. Never mind. Ben. You know, since uh, Marvel and Disney and everyone else has decided that we would rather be watching the World Cup than any sort of pop culture movies. Beckers. Exactly. What I've decided to do unilaterally, and I haven't told you this while we've been sitting here for the last half hour trying to get this organized, is we're going to just talk about football now instead. Oh, okay. Because we're not allowed to talk about pop culture for the entire duration of the World Cup because apparently that's the thing that happens. Exactly. So once once August arrives, we'll start talking about pop culture again. Until then... Did you see that performance from Russia yesterday? Bloody dreadful. The the problem with Croatia is... Yes, go on. They always try to walk it in. Exactly. What was Stefanovic thinking sending Stefanovinovichkov on so early? We're just stealing a bit I from know. the TV show. Yeah, we are. We just, we just stole the IT crowd. Apologies to Graham Linehan and all involved. Um, but honest to God, did you see the shoddy performance from Brazil the other night? I didn't, Ben. I don't, no, it was I pretty don't, rough. Did you see the 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 in in all actual fact ludicrous display from Sweden? Look against England the other, yesterday. It the, was just the thing just, is, Ben. Poor. The, you offense is the best form of defense. Ah, uh-huh. and you know if you're just going to line up like it's a rugby match. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> We here at the podcast believe that people can actually have more than one interest at a time. Mm-hmm. And if you did have, for example, a world sporting event, <clears throat> a World Cup, if you will, yeah, go on. you could also possibly go and see films yeah. um, after you are in the pub with the lads. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there are some people, and I know this is a shocking statement, um, but maybe there are some people that don't actually care about the World Cup. I mean, weirdos. I mean, I mean absolute freaks. Yeah. But nonetheless... They might exist. I've just had a realisation. You were born after World Cup Italia 90, weren't you? No, I was born in 1991. Yeah. Is that after Italia? After 1990. Oh, <laughs> that's not a crowning moment for you there, Ben. <laughs> so, maths not being my strong... From now on, we're actually going to do a podcast where Michael just teaches me the basics of arithmetic and that's mathematics. That's not even arithmetic, Ben. That is the order <laughs> of numbers. I 91 <clears throat> comes after 90. This will be on our sister YouTube channel. Ben, it'll just be a, a, a the the whole <laughs> the branding for the whole show is <laughs> just going to be me in a dunce cap oh, and Michael good. laughing hysterically. Benjamin, um, did you read Batman? Uh, Batman number fifty. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you would you like a review? Mm. You won't. It's not a very positive review. Oh no. Um, I think it was handled very poorly, Michael. Oh, um, no. My prediction came to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was confirmed a little earlier than everyone expected when the New York Times went and butchered the entire storyline with a very blunt headline. New York Times famously also spoiled Captain America dying at the end of Civil War. They did. It seems to be their thing. Mm. It seems to be their thing. But usually I think that's done as a gimmick to kind of drum up, you know, suspense. Unfortunately, this time it backfired massively because what it led to was a massive call for returns. Do you have some figures on that? Um, I don't have exact figures on it, I'm afraid. I wish I did, but you know I'm not a figures guy. Well, they won't be out yet, will they? Um, I wouldn't imagine so, but there was a big call for those issues to be allowed to be returned mm. um, with no hassle because, as usual, uh, comic book shops had to order in large amounts to get the variant cover oh, editions. variant covers. Um, 
And then the issue itself, I don't know if you read it. Did you read it, Michael? I didn't. Depend. Um. <clears throat> so anyway, basically, uh, if you don't want spoilers, you can skip ahead to the next part. We'll, we'll stick a link down to where you can skip yeah. ahead to down below. Um. But spoilers, two seconds. Three. Okay, and now we're back in. Um, what it was was uh, Catwoman doesn't go through with it. Catwoman doesn't go through with it. Um, she bottles it. She tells. She tells. First of all, she tells Batman that he's still a hurt child. In it's the letter, nice. she writes to him, not sound. Um, you know, you're leaving a man on his wedding day. Yeah. Um, you could at least, you know, soften the blow. But no, Selena's like, you're still a hurt child, and the world. I think then the, the line is like, the world needs you to stay that way, so you can still be Batman. It's it's shoddy. I expected more from Tom King, I'll be honest. Um, but that wasn't what annoyed me. What annoyed me more or less was every second page. Go on. Is a pinup from yes. a famous artist. Yes. And they use dialogue bubbles right. of how the cat and the bat, mm-hmm. respectively, feel about each other. Mm. And it's a very jarring reading experience. It's not really a reading experience, is it? It's a pinup episode. Do you know? Do you know what annoyed me more though is that all the all, all the artists. Stick their signature in every pinup, so right. you have a big sig- So it's very just it, there's no yeah, just a little bit. Like it was, it, it was strange. Surely you'd have a list at the end and just have that as your narrative if you want mm. different versions of Batman and Catwoman. Like I could understand that, but then you had these really jarring signatures that were quite striking, just sitting on the. I just I so didn't like it. What you're saying is you've got an art compilation book. Yeah, and, and what you wanted was a narrative story. Well, yeah, it's Batman number fifty okay. from the new run, which is mm. arguably one of the most successful Batman runs ever. Do you have any figures on that? No, mm. no, you know I don't. From okay, from a fan, from a fan point of view, where the 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 outpouring of support for both Scott Schneider when he started it mm-hmm. and Tom King since he has taken it over. Sorry, I keep clicking a pen. <laughs> but what really annoyed me was, and where I think Tom. Uh, King has has driven the ball is the final uh, drop the ball is the final page. My friend Tom King. Of, no, not your friend Tom King. Ah, got <laughs> uh, it. I let you say um, it two or three times, but yeah, like, you lulled me into a false sense of Tom King free security. <laughs> um, but the last panel is actually Bane, and mm-hmm. he is in a cabal of villains, including the Joker and um, uh, Killer Croc is there. Um, Batman from an alternate dimension is possibly oh, there. Yeah. Um, Hero Girl, Gotham Girl, I don't know if you, Gotham Girl was a character that was introduced, she was part of a pair of twins that kind of stepped in to take over, uh, yeah, sorry, I'll run through it now, and then what happens is, it turns out he's been orchestrating this whole thing all along to break the Batman, Bane, this is one of Bane's Uh famous, I will break the Batman things, Um, and yeah, so... The reason I have an issue with this is this would mean that Bane was oh, responsible for the whole wedding. Responsible for the whole wedding. This would mean that Bane has been manipulating events during Justice League. Mm. It means he would have been manip- manipulating events during Dark Knight's Metal. Mm. Basically, they've turned Bane into a Lex Luthor level. But he's a Mexican wrestler with special strength. Powers. Well, he's always famous for his strategy. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he's, and he is the man who broke the Batman. And Batman made a big mistake. He came to the island that Bane was on. Isla Nublar. Very, very good. No, that's Jurassic Park. Ah, damn it! <laughs> damn it! Uh, no, I can't remember what it's called. It's a, a famous made uppy comic okay. book place in um, in the DC island. universe. It could be. <laughs> um, and he came there, and he stole a character called Psycho Pirate back to try and help Gotham Girl originally. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because she was having a uh, mental breakdown mm-hmm. and she had Superman level powers. Uh-oh. That's yeah. Um, so he was trying to heal her, and mm-hmm. um, so he went and kidnapped someone who had been helping Bane get through his trauma. Psycho Pirate is a kind of B-list character mm-hmm. who can control emotional states. Oh, very good. Um, and he went and he stole him and Bane was very offended that Batman came and took down his entire island and blah, blah, blah. And this has been his long revenge. Very I revenge. Yeah, it would... It's too big. Mm. Um, For Bane. Too big for Bane. It's um, more Brainiac. It's, it's like... But it's a cosmic level manipulation. Mm-hmm. Like he... Dark Knight's Metal. He orchestrated events in that. He orchestrated events in... Um, the Justice League series that's currently running. He, but it, it would mean that part of his plan hinged on the source wall being cracked mm. and stuff like that, which it's a, doesn't. It's a very big plan to get how, one man. Yeah, how do you factor? But how do you factor in the source wall at the end of the universe being you cracked? Probably just shoot him with a special bullet. Oh, oh, is that a reference to the Infinite Crisis? Uh, was it? <laughs> it was. It was actually. <laughs> um, but anyway. But anyway. Um, that that was that. Yeah, really, right. that was that. Get out of here, Batman. So I didn't I didn't dig it. I thought it was a sloppy marketing attempt. And to be honest, I think DC deserved to return the money to all those vendors. It huh? wasn't actually worth the paper it was printed on. Ben, speak. I don't know if I, we won't get into that. Speaking of people who weren't self-aggrandizing, Steve Ditko is dead. Yeah, very sad. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Bit of a bit of a real shame. Well, now he was ninety. He had a good inning. Oh no, it wasn't like it wasn't a life cut short or anything like that. But it was a life led very in 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 a pauperous state towards the end. Yeah. In, in one of the things about Steve Ditko, Ben, is he famously didn't want to be famous. He wanted people to appreciate his work. Yeah. So I was thinking, in kind of respect of that, let's not really talk about him too much. Yeah. Let's talk about his work. Okay. So. Generally speaking... So, Ben, who even was Steve Ditko's work? Uh, Steve Ditko's work uh, is recognised for a number of reasons. If you had to pick out a word to describe Steve Ditko's work, I suppose the word idiosyncratic. Ditko-esque. Ditko-esque, yeah. He, he, not unlike Jack Kirby, had a very distinct Mm -hmm. um, style that you could kind of recognise automatically. Um, I think one of the things that set Steve Ditko's work apart was the lack of idealisation. He was not a fan of making his heroes all eight foot tall, square, strong. That was not really what he did. He is most famous. His most famous piece of work is without a doubt Spider-Man. Yes. Um, He drew Spider-Man like a skinny little dweeb. Yes, exactly. Spider-Man as Peter Parker was exactly what it's what you think of when you read the words a lonely high school outcast. Yeah. Didn't look like a little handsome Tom Holland. Nope, didn't do it. Didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't have your your cutesy, charming Tom Hollandies or your, in there? Your bloody skateboarding hipster Andrew Garfield. That was really off kilter. Like that was really out of date. Mm. That was that was a late nineties, early two thousands Peter Parker. But, but he was also cool. But he was yeah, he was cool. Like he was alternative. Yeah, didn't dig that. Didn't dig that. One of the sorry for diverting you here. That's but one fine. of the problems of Spider Man as a character now is. Being a nerd is cool now. Yeah. How do so, you... Yeah, exactly. Like, Tom Holland, it's not... It's impossible... Peter Parker, Tom Holland, it's impossible not to like him. Everyone likes mm. him. He's not this social outcast and dweeby nerd. <laughs> if they wanted to make someone like... What would be the equivalent today of a nerd in the 60s? I I think you'd have a... a sports jock or a frat brother like <laughs> yeah. no but honestly like that 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 form that kind of 
old fashioned form of masculinity, like, you know, mm. no feelings, whiskey, hunting, mm. you know, touchdown. Like, that's that's the big thing. It's a hard thing to translate these days. I, I mean, you, you, it's probably, you'd, you'd end up being, I suppose it'd go to race in America in terms of oh, America. It, it would become racial. Mm. If you want outcasts, you have to focus on a racial minority in a small town or a, mm. do you know what I mean? You yeah. have to find a new, and now it's such a, a difficult play to balance well mm. without making people come off as, as vile, mm. you know? It's interesting for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where what, you go with that. What are you saying? Drawing Spider-Man like a dweeb? Well, it's it's very interesting. So uh, Steve Dicko was a big fan of having him in high school and, you know, all those high school problems that came with it. Um and very much um, was against having Spider-Man graduate, actually. Um, he liked that high school setting so much that he didn't think that Spider-Man should progress. He felt that those stories were much stronger um, as they were. Now, that's, you know, you can't really argue whether that was the right call or not. It's impossible to say now because the character is huge. So mm-hmm. it would be a moot point. But um, going on from there, he had this real, um, he had this real way of drawing human emotion um, and I think Alan Moore um, described it as everyone looks like they're in some form of distraught or emotional distraught where they, they're all very stressed looking and all very um, yeah they, they have really exaggerated for those that didn't see there Michael did a, a rather exaggerated facial expression um, and they're all that kind of they have stretched facial expressions it's very expressive work it's very each person seems like an individual Mm. even in crowds like there was a lot of thought put into simple but effective variation in character and I think his Aunt May I've said aunt there instead of aunt 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 May May. his his Auntie May is she looks like the personification of old woman worry yeah (laughs) <laughs> she, he he was remarkably because if you look at Steve Ditko's style of drawing, mm-hmm. it's remarkably simple. It doesn't it doesn't even have the complexity of Jack Kirby, who loved squiggly lines and mm-hmm. intricate little cross hatching here and there. You know, those the panels that Steve Ditko did, he he kind of utilized the the nine panel structure. That was his favorite way of of um, drawing comics in a nine panel structure, and he would fit. As much detail as as was reasonable in mm-hmm. each panel, but it, it never bombards you with information. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in how he renders his characters, shading was kept to a minimum. Mm-hmm. He focused a lot more on clean line work, and that clean line work uh, can be challenging because what you end up with is a generic man A with slight variation, mm-hmm. generic woman A with mm-hmm. slight variation, fat woman A, fat man A, yeah. and then you just kind of slap different clothes or a slightly different facial feature a good example of that and not to speak ill of the dead but Steve Dillon from Preacher Steve Dillon dead? Steve Dillon is dead oh, Steve wow. Dillon is dead Steve Dillon died of cancer two years ago um, Steve Dillon was and if you look at anything with Steve Dillon he has generic hero character A Jesse mm-hmm. Custard generic hero character B Cassidy mm-hmm. and variations on that character then you have your fat characters you have your things and if you ever wanted to differentiate a character he would change their race their hairstyle or he would give them a grotesque feature so for example the one that runs the order uh, the religious order is very very fat he's gigantically obese yeah. 
There's nothing very interesting about that, but what Steve Ditko did with this clean line work is he somehow found a way to change all those characters and make them different. Dr. Octopus looks completely different to the Vulture. The Scorpion looks completely different to Dr. Octopus. Not only in costume level, because obviously costume is a big way that we differentiate, mm-hmm. um, but also in facial features when yeah. without a costume. Mm. Um, I, I read an interesting thing by J. Scott Campbell mm. on Twitter. This wasn't necessarily about um, Steve Ditko. But it was about how his Mary Jane... He was criticised about all his characters looking the same as he often is. Yeah. And he pointed True. out that his Mary Jane that he draws is much closer to the original style guide of what Mary Jane is supposed to look like mm. than almost every other Mary Jane that has come since the 60s. Yeah. So he put up a picture of different artists. Um, Mary Jane's, Pepper Potts, yeah. Karen Page's and said tell them apart out of context but you can tell his Mary Jane because he follows the the guideline the guideline and characters used to have that much more they had style books and and guidebooks two two famous examples that you can find great videos online of are uh, the Batman animated series Mm -hmm. it's called the style bible Mm -hmm. the show bible Mm -hmm. sorry show bible you can find that online in PDF form and Bruce Tim outlines exactly what he wants to see from each character in Mm -hmm. each episode and then more importantly in in an interesting kind of way of studying character Chuck Jones published his um, style guide for um, well, not Chuck Jones his estate published the style guide for the Roadrunner and the Coyote you see the thing about that is animation is different though because animation they have to look the same between friend, friend to friend mm. but in comic books every time you get a new artist they just draw let's say Rogue mm-hmm. um, Rogue doesn't have an, a defining facial feature yes she has true. A, a white stripe and brown hair yeah. and she's attractive Yep. And other than that, you can draw whatever the hell way you want. And you have to write A-H where there should be an R. Sugar. Oh, I thought you were saying Adam Hughes. No. no. He draws Rob. He draws Rob quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, yeah, but that... The, anyway, what am I saying? Mm. But Steve Ditko didn't do that. Steve Ditko's characters, you could tell who they were out of context. Out of context. Um, and that, that was a fantastic achievement. On top of that... Doctor Strange and his big stupid rectangular jo- head. Doctor Strange, he had like... Yeah, it was a really weird like pinched head. But it's very distinct mm-hmm. and it does the job. The other thing that kind of sets Steve Dicko apart in terms of artwork and for superheroes especially, mm-hmm. costume design. Mm-hmm. Took, went to a whole new level with Steve mm-hmm. Dicko. Before that, we had your, your Captain Americas. You had your, your Supermans. Mm-hmm. You had your Batmen. Um, a man in a spandex, basically. A man in a spandex who forgot to put his underwear on first. Uh-huh. Um, Logo on his chest. And had a logo on his chest, big old logo, traditionally handsome, mm-hmm. very clearly the hero. Um, you had to see a little bit of facial feature to show that it was a human with a smile and blah blah blah. Even Batman with the cowl has has a little window, no, um, a little window. of of chin. Um, Although I saw on Twitter one of the few times that Steve Ditko drew Batman, and he kept drawing Batman in shadow. So that the cowl was fully black. That's that's quite interesting. That is. So, and then more importantly, if you look at Spider Man, mm-hmm. one of the first heroes to have a fully a fully covered face. Mm. It's bizarre. Um, the, the spandex was still there in um, Spider Man, but more importantly, um, he had the famous web wings that he had in the original costume. Yeah. This wasn't a '90s add-in. Someone went back, realized that Steve Ditko had originally put that in, mm-hmm. and did. But that's a lot of thought for a man who innovated an entire genre. There is some debate with regards to Steve Ditko uh, between himself and Stan Lee, and not to get into it on a personal level, but the debate 
from a purely stylistic point of view, is Stanley considers himself to be the creator of Spider-Man because he came up with the idea. Yeah. Steve Ditko felt this was unfair because he did everything else. Did he say that in an interview? Uh, well, no, Stan Lee said this. So this is the unusual thing. So there, there is a documentary that we were drawing a lot of our, our stuff from today, In Search of Steve Ditko. Mm-hmm. It was a BBC4 documentary in 2007. Um, it's very, very good. It's online on YouTube in full. So if you want to go check it out, go check it out. We might find it included in a link if we don't get copyright struck somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather interestingly, Stan Lee admits that Steve Ditko did almost everything on the Spider-Man comic, especially towards the end of his run, he says that he would turn up, give him a bare-bones idea, mm-hmm. Steve Ditko would go off... He and, fights a man and called draw, Scorpion. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he would go off, draw the whole thing, and then Stan Lee would come back and attempt to place the speech bubbles in the right places. Mm-hmm. And Stan Lee admits all this. Why do you hate Stan Lee so much? I don't, I don't hate Stan Lee, but I do hate creators that take all the credit for work that clearly isn't all theirs. Mm. Um, this is, oddly enough, I wasn't aware of this about Stan Lee up until about two years ago. Um, and um, he's quite, he kind of accepts the title a lot. Like he says that he'll take any credit that isn't nailed down. And mm-hmm. he's it, he wears it well, but it's very reminiscent of Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Bob Kane being the creator of Batman and Bill uh, finger being the co-creator that never got any credit mm, and it was like, a very like you on this podcast similar thing yeah exactly exactly i do all the work and we put your name first in the channel um you know when am i going to get recognized i'm not even, I'm not even dignifying that <laughs> yeah, fair enough but um more importantly steve dicko addressed this in a small zine a zine they're still around, but they were very big in the 60s and 70s. They were a great way for alternative media to get their message out. Mm-hmm. He addressed this in a really simple one-page comic where um, he has which which is more responsible for creating. And he has a, a script with 25 lines explaining uh-huh. the character. Uh-huh. And then he just does this massive illustration of Spider-Man, all the gadgets, the costume, the mm-hmm. background. He goes... Or creating the entire world. Mm-hmm. And so this is the way... Steve Ditko never directly addressed it because he's famously publicity... Well, was famously publicity shy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting that... And then Stan Lee was still adamant at the end of this documentary when directly asked the question, he said, no, I'm the creator of Spider-Man, but I'm happy to uh, consider uh, Steve Ditko. But I think that's very unusual that you can take a man who revolutionized a comic and made it so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, how how can you look at that and not see it? But anyway, he was recognized as a bit of a visionary in that field. His other work was never as successful. Well, Doctor Strange. Doc, well, Doctor Strange, but even, that's only recently it's become as successful as it has. It was mm. never a competitor at the time. It mm. was a fun, psychedelic romp during the 60s, and mm-hmm. it, it enjoyed some fame. But he never reached Spider-Man height again. He Hawk went, and Dove? He went, yeah. If, if anyone knows who Hawk and Dove is, would you comment at this timestamp down below? <laughs> um, Hawk and Dove, The Question, and The Creeper were three that he did for DC. You? Uh-huh, you see, you called me a question. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, he did those three, and they never really made it to the same level Although he, Hawk and Dove are going to be in the new uh, Titans TV show 
No way. Yeah. No. Yeah, the costumes way. look kind of cool. They improved the costumes a lot. Apparently, I saw the Robin. Still, it was quite yeah, cool. It looks much better. Uh, much better. Very dark and gritty, though. We're still Everything going with dark, dark and, gritty. and gritty. Apparently, it's going to be dark and gritty. There's going to be broken bones and blood. And Why? Why would you do that with the Teen Titans? They're... Teen Titans are fun and zazzy. Well, the Teen Titans weren't always fun and zazzy. No, they weren't. They were very moody, angsty seventies kids. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's why it's back to yeah. that. But anyway, Steve Ditko, famous, um, really good at contrast as well. He had some really creative ideas that he explored later on, but unfortunately, he would let his political agenda seep into the comics. And we're not and, talking, but about, we're not talking that. about that. But <laughs> from an artistic point of view, had a fantastic grasp of contrast, line quality, mm-hmm. and really, he could churn out work mm-hmm. in no time at all. He was one of those famous kind of go away, come back a week later with a fully finished comic, which is unheard of today, by the way. Um, Bloody Ed McGuinness. Bloody Ed McGuinness taking a couple of months at a time, delayed issues. Who else? Jim Chung. Never heard of him. He's quite famous. He did an Avengers run for a long time. Um, Don't like the sound of him. Jim Chung uh, took over on JLA, and I don't know if he was only supposed to do the first issue Mm -hmm. or if he was supposed to do the run, but he fell behind and they've replaced him with another artist. Um, who does a much cleaner job I don't know if any uh, it doesn't matter um, anyway Steve Ditko from an artistic point of view um, had an astounding grasp and was not afraid to innovate uh, in the comic book industry which had become exceptionally formulaic at the time of him creating mm. Spider-Man it's, it's strange people usually at this point you say he will be missed but he has long since stopped yeah. drawing he, um, he died in obscurity yeah, um, uh, his work kind of dried up in the 70s, really, didn't he? Yeah, it's, he never really continued. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't sought after. Um, and it's it's kind of a very sad story. Um, and it goes to show you where, I suppose, companies like Image Comics come from. It's, mm-hmm. it's because that, that practice was still continuing right up until yeah, the 90s. Yeah, creator-owned. Cre- no, but brand-owned. Yeah. The yeah. creators didn't get a say. Well, that's what um, Image was formed to give then, the creators a bit of money. Exactly, yeah. It was to try and give people control over their yeah. artistic work again. Um, and it's done very well in that. So, um, anyway, that's, that's Steve Ditko. So, you know, he, he it would be facetious to say he will be missed but it's hard to to look back at a, a legacy like that and not mark it in some form so no, good, that's ben. michael and ben, speaking of uh, speaking of hawk and dove cloak and dagger are two characters who also have an and in them Ooh, smooth segue smooth Go. as butter <laughs> no hold on i can do that better ben speaking of cloak and dove cloak and dove is that right no i'm mixing them up hawk and dagger ben speaking of Hawk and Dove. Can you think of any other characters who have an and between their names? Actually, there's a new television show out that's been coming from Marvel. It's called Cloak and Dagger. Oh, very good. Let's it's another pair. That. Yeah. Got okay. it. Ben, Boom. Obviously, uh, I'm just back from America. That America. Yeah, where I both saw Ant-Man. Of course. And then watched Cloak and Dagger. Dagger. I'm going to keep getting that wrong. I'm not getting that wrong as a bit. Cloak and Dove. <laughs> I've been watching Cloak and Dagger on freeform Ben it's very good is it very good Michael it's very because I'm surprised I'd lost faith in the Marvel television universe I know that's the thing I think it might remember when the trailers came out and the trailers came out around the same time as the trailers for Inhumans yeah and they both looked kind of dreadful yeah but I think Cloak and what is it? Dagger. Dagger was smeared. No, I'm clicking a pen. Cloak and Dagger were smeared by proximity to Inhumans. Yeah, they got tainted. Yeah. The taint of Inhumans. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because, Ben, it really is quite good in a non 
there's no for a addendum. Okay. It's just yeah, yeah. it's quite good. It's just quite good. It's I think Ben, it's my favorite Marvel TV show. What? I know. No. It's weird. Okay, no. let's right. So Cloak and Dagger, Ben, very briefly, very briefly. Okay. Very briefly remind us of their powers. Uh, like so I'm talking 30 seconds here. Okay, so Cloak. Not one of your Ben classics. All oh, right, okay, fine. Cloak wears a giant cloak that lets him access the dark dimension. Right. And the dark dimension is full of weird beasts, and it's a big dimension filled with dark, and he can access it through the cloak, so you have lots of cool scenes where you can teleport people to and from places right, using right. the dark dimension Go inside on. the cloak. Yeah. Yeah. And Dagger is a young one who wears skimpy outfits and can create light constructs that are shaped like... Daggers. Right. So, the interesting thing there... Hang on a minute, can we just say how much I nailed that? Like, well, that was, that was fucking good. excellent. You did say cloak probably too much, but anyway. Cloak. Look, <laughs> the interesting thing there, you've, you've hit the nail on the head for... I've lured you down a path there. Ooh. They haven't really focused on that side of things. Now, it does look like we're seeing the origin story of his cloak. Okay. But the, the cloak has nothing to do with his powers. His powers are inherent oh, okay. to him. But they're focusing more on something you failed to mention. Mm. That contact with Cloak, or contact with the Dark Dimension in general, makes people see their greatest fears. Oh, I missed that. And they've expanded that a little bit, so that contact with Dagger makes people see their greatest hopes. Oh, that's nice. And it's a nice little juxtaposition, Mm. right? And they're actually using those powers more in the tv show which makes sense because it doesn't have the biggest budget in the world also america's kind of desperate for a bit of something that's the other issue right but also timely also you can milk a lot more drama out of that than a girl throwing glowing knives at people you clearly haven't been to coppers on a saturday (laughs) very good i have but but um so that's the thing. They're, 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 the powers are a little different. He, we're getting the origin story of his cloak. But here's one of the great things about it, Ben. Mm-hmm. Very little. Not none. Okay. But very little expositionary dialogue. Oh, get in. Almost. I, I mean, it's not like a bloody Ryan Gosling film. It's not like Place Behind the Pines. The Place Beyond the Pines. Beyond the Pines. It's not like that where you have to watch it for 45 minutes before you even understand who anyone is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's, but... They keep going to situations and meeting people and no one has ever explained something to another person for the benefit of the audience. It just unfolds nicely. Yeah. Mm. And, and every time you think they've introduced a stock character, in the next episode they turn around and have some sort of hidden depth to them. It's so you're it, saying it's just a well-written piece of work. It's just a well-written piece of fiction. It's not very superhero-y. Which is not a bad thing. You, you can't, yeah. It's hard to see them in the same universe as Iron Man. Okay. Like, you can't imagine a Dagger hopping out from Cloak's cloak and throwing bloody light daggers at Thanos. <laughs> That's not going to happen in this universe. But... Oh, very! It's very it's good. very good. My my good lady friend is thoroughly enjoying it, to the point where it, it's becoming an issue having to fly her to America every week. It's expensive. Yeah, it's you don't expensive. you don't make that kind of money. I don't, Ben. Podcasting not the most well paying. So, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to check out our Patreon link down below, <laughs> we don't have a Patreon. Ben, <laughs> help people, us watch Cloak and Dagger. People turn off podcasts when they hear the word Patreon. It's all right. There's not, a, there's not a real Patreon. There's no Patreon. There's no Patreon. No one would pay us. Um, look, Ben, I, you're really going to have to get on this. I think, yeah. I think you might like it. It's a little bit slow. Sure. A little bit considered. 
I don't mind considered things. Yeah, no, it, but I mean, it's it, you know the the only kind of drawbacks of it. How are we doing for time here? The only kind of drawbacks of it are your classic problems of uh, shared universe. Yeah. That when someone fires a gun at Cloak mm-hmm. and he disappears in a puff of black smoke, he kind of teleports a bit more like Nightcrawler than Cloak and Dagger traditionally does. With a, with an old switch for cape. Yeah, like he doesn't... My understanding of Cloak from the comics was always that he entered the Dark Force dimension and basically walked... Yeah, he's not as fast. He's not He's not a fast... Yeah, he has to guide people through yeah. the dimension. But not, not this one. This one is more like Nightcrawler. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's. I suppose cinematically speaking, you have to... Although, like I said, we're... Flex it a bit. We are seeing the origin of his cloak. Where was I going with that? Oh, someone fires a gun at him. Yeah. And we... When, when he teleports away, the guy looks completely stunned rather than thinking, oh, he must be one of those inhumans. Yeah, yeah. Or one of those... Mutants. Mutants or one of those bloody yeah. Tony Stark people. It's quite realistic, though. I suppose. You would kind of fall over being like, what the... F-? You would. But also you'd go, I think, we, we, I think I'm investigating a case with one of those inhumans. Oh, okay. Cause, you, because you already have the Avengers. You have the Avengers, for example. Could you send over the shield? The shield still exists. Are you yawning? <laughs> Stop yawning! I'm tired. It's bloody 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. Um, what was I saying there? No, but uh, I, I see your point. Shared universe problems. Would, would be difficult. I can't even remember where they came from. I, I can't even... like Who created Originally? Cloak and Dagger? Yeah. Oh, oh, very good. Yeah, see? Uh, see, I'll get you back on they're track from, here. They're from... Are they from the 70s? I, I think so. They sound very seventies. I think they're from the seventies. What do you want? Are you trying mm, to go ahead. encourage me? Mm-hmm. So they're the <laughs> podcast gold. I mean, such professionalism. <laughs> um, ben, they were created by Bill Mantlo. Bill Mantlo, mm. never heard of him. He's not terribly prolific. I don't think. Don't think I, so. Oh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Michael's very to... popular. Ben, look, they were created by Bill Mantlo, and Bill Mantlo, uh, and this is relevant for where you're going, Ben. Bill Mantlo <laughs> visited Ellis Island. Have you I'm ever going heard to of... Ellis Island. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Ellis Island, Ben? Ellis Island, as in uh, the lovely little place off the coast of Cork. No, the other one. No, the other one. Um, the one in in Dat America. Yes. In in New York, New York. I think it's actually technically in New Jersey. Oh, okay, New Jersey. Yeah, but it's the it's the last port of call before reaching New York when you're an Irish person on a poor famine ship Absolutely. heading over there. Uh, lots of different immigrants heading over there. That's true. Um, it was it was immigration control at one mm. point. You would have to pass through Ellis Island. They would strip you of various possessions they didn't want coming into the country. You had to have all your documentation in place. You usually have to choose a new name. Yeah. Um, and that is how you got into debt America, which allowed the city to boom and influx. And they needed all the people, but they treated them like and Bill Mantlo visited there then mm. and he said the the sense of hunger and loss and loneliness and terror was what inspired Cloak and Dagger because ah. Cloak and Dagger was originally set in New York they moved it to New Orleans for the TV show oh which I think was a good idea well you can't you, you couldn't possibly have a New York cop being like oh my god someone teleported because well interestingly he was part of the event <laughs> interestingly the cop who's investigating them is from New York oh okay so that's she has transferred from Har- Harlem and she was very briefly mentioned in Luke Cage 
Yeah. Just the tiniest little crossover. Look at them ditching in. Tiniest Look little at them build, weaving a tapestry. Yeah, go on. Weaving your, a tapestry. Um, so, the reason that we forcibly stuck Ellis Island in there is because this week's topic is all about immigration mm. in, in comic books. Um, immigration is a very timely issue, obviously. Um, and we want to take a quick... A quick look in that traditional Michael and Benjamin's way at how it's affected some of the narratives that we consume as Mm. people. Um, This really popped into my head as a result of our chat about immigration in Victorian narrative, where uh, yeah, this is this is kind of where it it, it kind of leaked in to my brain through that avenue, seeped on in like Mexicans seeping across the border. Michael, I told you you can do your pro-Trump podcast (laughs) on another day when I'm not in the tiny room. Because there's not enough room in here for two Irish lads and a boatload of bigotry. Do uh, do a do a Trump voice saying what I just said. Listen, Michael and Benjamin's podcast, the best podcast. These guys are great, the best people. Great sound quality, great production, totally professional. Best segues, best segues. <laughs> I really like what they do over there. They understand me. They understand the wall. It's great. It's great. Listen to them, guys. That's very good. Um, so. <clears throat> We here at Michael Benjamin's podcast, I think I can speak for both of us when I say no to Trump. I know, I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for him. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not fans here. But anyway, this, this is largely due, as, as you recall, Michael, I said that a lot of Victorian narratives were shaped by fear of the other. Yeah. Fear of the other or fear of the outsider, which mm. was a fancy way of saying fear of the immigrant. Right, like the um, war of the worlds. Like the war of the worlds. I've been um, listening to the... The, the rock opera by Jeff Wayne. No way. Any good? good? Is Very it good? good. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that, that line of thought has kind of led me to this one today. Because right now, I would say that immigration is a real hot, hot topic. A hot, um, hot issue. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a scaremongering tactic right now from a lot of politicians. It's All a right, bit of a political, are we? So is it, well, no, just just to give you some context in All 2018. Right. All right, go um, on. yeah, and I, it, if it, you're it's, listening to this in the far future of it's 2019, yeah, but I would say far more on a European and American scale, mm-hmm. we're seeing some unusual events take place. Go on. For example, Trump's current immigration policy is very dystopian. Oh, this on. this thing of separating children from their their families mm-hmm. is something that you would see in in Hunger Games or a or a bloody Children of Men. There or were no the, children in Children of Men, no. but you get the idea of or separating the families. Maze or the Maze Runner, like or a Divergent. There, yeah, a, or another really young crappy adult. young adult <laughs> monstrosity. But it's. Or a per- Miss Peregrine's home for unusual children. Children. That's not a dystopia, Michael. Um, that's an anachronistic retelling that takes place in multiple timelines. I know. <sighs> or a, or a Go on. City of Bones. Oh, City of Bones has nothing to do with it, Michael. Well, isn't that about immigrants? It's not about immigrants. It's, it's about not? a bunch of teenagers in tight clothing. Oh, good. Fighting. <laughs> um, but... It, it is a very dark glimpse of a future where you're separating children from their families mm-hmm. at borders. Well, it's right. a strange thing. But it got me thinking about all the famous examples of immigration. I mean, obviously, we've talked about Superman as an immigrant, the mm-hmm. alien, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think one of the more prescient ones is a character that's been recently introduced into the DC universe. He, he was gone for a long time. But John Johns, the Martian Manhunter. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Superman was, was great in... In that he was an immigrant character and people could relate to that because he's an alien. But 
the the drawback to Superman for me on a personal level, if you want to tell an outsider story, is that he's incredibly handsome. Yes. He's incredibly gifted, mm-hmm. and he doesn't struggle to fit in. No, because well, first of all, he looks exactly like a human. Yeah. And second of all, he was essentially raised. 100% as a human exactly so if if we look at uh, that is a form of immigration I suppose adoption is of course a form of immigration in some form but once you're in a family mm. you're in a family mm. you, you can accustom yourself you can acclimatize to that new um, society and stuff like that a lot easier John Johns I think is a far more interesting character because he came to earth as a man or as a, a mature Martian yeah mature martian mm. uh do you like busty mature martians oh, call now on 1-800 red planet uh, <laughs> i didn't know i did but i do now uh yeah but there you go um so he came much older and originally in his original run he had a human identity yeah john jones john jones the 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 reason he was called the martian manhunter by the, the way is he MMA fighter. no no not right. that guy why was john jones shamed what happened there? uh cocaine and hitting pregnant women with his car oh shit then more cocaine then some steroids i think then some more cocaine pregnant women with car yeah he's, not, he's a bad egg he's a bad egg yeah. <laughs> anyway not that john jones so uh john jones was originally called the martian manhunter because he would be a detective in his human form that's what he was he was a, a gumshoe mm-hmm. um and the reason that he took a human identity was to better fit in um after he had been horribly experimented on um by the government so you're saying this is the equivalent of um it, what's charlie sheen's real name Charlie Sheen's name is Charlie Sheen. No, it isn't. It's, it's like Emilio it's, Estevez is the name of the other brother. Yeah, but Charlie Sheen's name. He's is an Estevez. Estevez. Yeah, Charlie Estevez. But what's what's the Spanish word for Charlie? What's Martin Sheen's real name? Martin Estevez, I'm assuming. Uh, but he's Irish. He's part Irish somewhere as well. Like I don't know. Julio Iglesias. Julio Estevez. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is you're saying this is the equivalent of Charlie Sheen changing his name to a, an English-sounding name. To, uh, well, he did that. He did that in some form. But I think what's more interesting is is the more is the more um, modern arc of the Martian Manhunter. When he was introduced originally, there was that small theme of immigration, stranger in a strange land, trying to acclimatize. Martin Sheen's name is Ramon Gerard Antonio Estevez. Holy crap! Yeah, it's a big jump. Um, so yeah, there was that element of it in the original run, but then that was heightened a lot more during Grant Morrison's run on the JLA, mm-hmm. where Martian Manhunter started to feel like he would never fit in, mm-hmm. and he would at length have conversations with people like Wonder Woman, who was also a stranger to America, and uh, they're all bloody immigrants in the JLA. N- no, Batman is not. No, Batman isn't, but Wonder Woman is. Superman really isn't. He is though. He is in a certain sense. Flash. John Jones is. John, Martian Manhunter is, absolutely. Yeah. Hawk Girl sometimes is. Sometimes is. It depends on which reincarnation she's currently in. Yeah. Um, and it gets a bit complicated, but he would have these conversations and he felt because he was an alien and he looked different that he would never fit in. Now, he is a shape... Sorry, Char- Charlie Sheen's name is Carlos Estevez. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> If you want to talk about fitting in and living the American dream, there you go. There you go. You change your name, change everything about yourself, tamp down your culture, and, yeah. and get on with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But eventually, um, Martian Manhunter has this interesting identity crisis where he doesn't want to lose his Martian identity, but he also wants to be accepted, which is a perfectly reasonable request, mm-hmm. so long as you do both things in, in moderation. Mm-hmm. Um 
And I think um, what made it really interesting is he quits the league oh. in uh, by the end of the JLA run. And he disappears. Remember I said they reintroduced him in, in Justice League America? Yeah. He had been gone for that long. So from the mid-90s mm-hmm. on the JLA Grant Morrison run mm-hmm. till around 2010. Wasn't he in the bloody Stormwatch? He was in the Stormwatch for a while, but he never went back to the league. Oh, okay. And this is an inter- he, and he wasn't a central character in any storyline. He didn't have his own issue. He mm-hmm. didn't have. He traditionally has never really had his own issue because nobody knows how to write a proper alien. Well, yeah, because he's an alien. He's also very powerful. Yeah, and he's he's Superman level powerful. Yeah. he takes on Superman quite frequently mm-hmm. and wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's interesting. There have been different issues over the years. Batman and Superman had their own run for a very very long time. Batman and Superman comic. There was one where there was an alien signal being broadcast that mm-hmm. was turning aliens living on Earth against humans. Oh, so any superpower with any element of alien DNA, alien-granted superpowers, were being hypnotized by this call. Superman. Superman, for Star example, fire. was Starfire. The Thangarians. Thangarians. Cyborg's technology. The oh. Cyborg's technology turned against him because he has elements of apocalyptic oh. technology. So this this call, this beacon, was doing it. And Star one, Girl. Star Girl. Yes. What that signal tapped into was the sense of alienation that alien races were feeling on Earth. It it heightened that fear and loneliness that immigrants had and one of the primary ones that came out of hiding to take out to take out superman when he was resisting mm-hmm. was john jones oh. martian manhunter when was this so this was in 2008 right i think um i can't remember enemies among us was the name of the run on the batman superman comic it was one of the last ones mm-hmm. um enemies among us very racist title for a comic book dealing exclusively with themes of immigration and finding your place. Mm. Enemies Among Us was a very post 9-11 thing. And mm. it, it stinks of post 9-11 kind of doctrination with a, a line of hope at the end. So you're not saying it's not a pastiche. It's a, it's a genuine kind of reaction of fear. I, I think it was a genuine... I, I, think, I think you could far more argue that it was an unconscious reaction. I don't think he meant... To stir anything up because he's not traditionally a very conservative. I can't remember who did that run. Oh, maybe it was actually. Sorry, I think that was. Um, what's his name? He does all the Green Lantern stuff. He's very conservative. Mike Capullo? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, just look up um, Brightest Day and find Ethan Schreiber. Schreiber? Schreiber? Ethan Schreiber? I think it was Ethan Schreiber who illustrated it. Um, which would make a lot of sense because Ethan Scriver is remarkably conservative. Um, I'm looking it up. He originally made a joke with one of his 2007 um, sketchbooks he released mm-hmm. and he called it My Struggle and he had Sinestro <laughs> on the cover with a, with a Hitler-style kind of that's mustache. A, that's a joke though, right? It, e- was, it was a joke, but he is also pro-Trump. Ethan Vance. Scriver, yeah. Is that it? He's pro-Trump. And you know really? he's a very conservative guy oh, um, that works in comics, and he has since terminated his relationship with DC. I think he got in trouble really? for a couple of things. He has an so, immigrant's name. I think he. I. I. I don't think that's stuff. See. Uh, uh, anyway, that'll get into generalizations that will definitely get me into trouble. That's a conversation for in the pub, okay. not on the podcast. But John Jones was one of the ones that really jumped out to me. Um, obviously, there are other great examples of mass immigration in comic books. Uh, for example, Transmetropolitan often deals with people trying to enter different parts of the 
the city uh-huh. and the the different forces that align to get rid of that. Um, I think um, especially a lot of the future comics kind of deal with immigrants still being on the bottom of the totem pole, immigrants still failing um, to kind of make their way in the real America mm-hmm. um, and really find their place in it. They're, they're always looked at as as the outsider in America. It, it affects massively, I think, American comics far more than it would affect us because immigration is obviously a much bigger thing in that America. Well, we, we would tend, tend to have comics about comics or popular culture things about emigration rather than immigration. Absolutely. Like, we're, we're always leaving. Sure, we're, yeah. sure, we're part of the problem I mean, over here. This fella bloody here. Yeah, bloody Neil, Neil, Neil Gaiman. If you look at American Gods, his most famous work, that's... All about immigrants. Yeah, it's all about how you take your culture and you take your beliefs and they get bastardized as you go along and they get watered down and, you know, you have to kind of align yourself a little bit better. I think every, in the TV show, every character is an immigrant. Yeah, they are. There's not a single, not a single whitey in the pack. Well, there are whiteys. Okay, sorry, I've made a mistake there. That's Whoops. Whoops. Been, I've edited that out, Ben. Uh, nah, definitely not. Uh, definitely not. Let me go down with the ship. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there's not a single American-born character operating in... I think the only American-born characters are the friend, the best friend, mm-hmm. and the... Well, I think Shadow is American-born, but he's he's Native American by birthright, isn't he? In the book, certainly. Yeah, in the, the book, certainly. I don't know TV if that's touched on in the thing. So he's he's Native American British Norse. Actor. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting one. Um, but, like, immigration is such a big theme. Even today, there's, you know, alien... Anytime you have an alien invasion, it's it's some form of reference to, you know, an outsider force coming in. I think the Young Justice TV series was all about how one race made it seem as if they wanted to help the human race. It's the same ones that control the Blue Beetle Scarab on, on oh, Blue Beetle. Oh, those guys. Those guys. I can't remember what the race is called. The Collective or the... the they have a one of those big names, Collective Noun names. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the, the Hive or the Swarm. No, they, so they, it, was, it was a nice, agreeable term because they were pretending that they were here mm-hmm. to form relationships with with human beings to, to have a good relationship with humans but they were actually planning a secret invasion classic because humans were very compatible for their scarabs which allowed them to have a stronger army so um, they seemed like just normal immigrants but the whole time they were planning a secret invasion yeah like the Muslims like the Muslims exactly so I mean but you also had conservative we dress, we there, we're that? making a joke sorry that was massively a joke massively a joke but the character design of the the higher ups in that mm. wore the female characters wore something akin to a, a hijab. Oh, really? Yeah. Like so, there was you know there was a lot of covering of various parts, and it was very so. It's it's interesting, and there was a, a blatant hierarchy led by people that preached. It was it's, so you have these elements, and obviously Muslims are the go to at the moment, mm-hmm. where you have they're your problem. You have whenever you want to show a restrictive oh society. Did you just say Muslims are your problem? No, no, no. They're your go-to kind of scapegoat problem. Sorry, I should reiterate that. Your go-to scapegoat problem. I don't hate Muslims. Don't <laughs> don't make me out to be one of these people. Um, but they're your go-to scapegoat when uh-huh. you need to make an alien society seem restrictive. Mm. They model it on Islam as a religion. They change it to some elder god thing yeah of course and obviously. then but the, a lot of like the dress mm-hmm. the robes the the sociological hierarchy the things names. like that they're exactly they're very much modeled on that other thing i mean in in on on muslim society 
in the past, go on. That changed to a different brand of immigrant. You would have Wakanda. Right. And you would base it on Africans because you saw a lot of African immigration right. come in. Okay. And then even further back mm-hmm. in the past, you would base it on. Wait, I've lost my track of thought. Damn it. It's gone. No. Uh, no. When you had the 80s and stuff like that, you would base it on all your villains were Mexican or Latino. Really? You had a lot of, of that. It, depending on what part of the country you placed your series in. Which this country? Doesn't, this Which country doesn't, are you talking about? Mexico. But you're ta- are you talking they're about all car- They're all cartels, Colombians. The, the, ah. Latino characters were... Not necessarily in comics. This would be a, a, a much wider... Reg- I mean, the villains in every TV show ever have always reflected the big fear of the time. Sure, yeah, Russians. Yeah, Russians were a big one for a really... Of course, mm-hmm. Russians. Yeah, I forgot about Russians. Mm-hmm. And then even in things like The Authority, The Outside Threat is a, a vaguely Asian... Uh, Although he is an isolationist lunatic, he doesn't want. To yeah, but that's immigrate. an interesting counter narrative to the whole immigration debate. Mm-hmm. You you can because every the, you you always have that one is an example of all mentality when it comes to stuff like this. Oh well, one one Muslim mm-hmm. uh, committed a terrorist attack, and then. Of course, you have two sides. You have a large group of Muslims that come out and denounce that behavior, and you have one or two people that support it, and then you have this massive debate, and everybody gets branded with the same lunatic ideology, what which just you, isn't how the world works. What do you think about the movie District 9? District 9, where one man is is integrated into the culture against his will. Well, well, that's true, actually. But where the aliens are basically refugees, asylum seekers... Too interesting or too on the nose? I think it's the South African narrative, given that it's a South African director, South African star and whatever, it's, more apartheid it's an apartheid issue. I don't think issue. it's an immigration issue. But I think it was also a little too on the nose. It was very obvious that... Um, but I mean, if, we, if we're analysing the themes and tropes there, mm-hmm. he is uh, violently inducted into the culture through um, bodily mutation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could use that as a prime. He certainly learns empathy through that experience, mm. but he's also left a lower class of society. Did you ever read or watch the TV show Alien Nation? No. About the aliens that came to Earth? No. And tried to integrate? No. And they were all bald? No. Give it a look. Was it good? It doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up, no. but I mean, it's worth it. Worth it's, worth it's, look it's interesting. As a time capsule. Yeah, as a time capsule and as a, as a pun. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's one of the best puns. I think one of the most interesting things and most... Look, there they are. Look at their funny heads. Oh, wow. They're so different from us. That's really bad. I hate that. I hate that. Alien. Oh, look, it's it, they're just like us, but with one large body part. Um, But it's a good... It's, a, it's an interesting kind of... Was that a TV show or a movie? I think it was both. One of the more recent examples of this where, where it's kind of a more even way of looking at it is probably Rick and Morty. Go on. Um, the episode at the beginning of season three, where um, a government, the intergalactic government, has taken over Earth and added it as a colony. So this is this is the opposite effect of what we have. I think very much the fear in the past, certainly in the nineties and and earlier, was was that these people would come and and steal our culture and change it. Yeah. Um, now I think there's a far more fear of homogenization of culture, mm-hmm. where we're just going to sterilize everything until it's. I mean, you always hear these debates where. You know, oh man, and this is going to get me in all kinds of trouble. Uh, it's not but it's the narrative. This isn't my belief. This is the, this yeah, is the well, narrative just that's being built. Say it, you racist. The, the, the homogenization of culture, where Earth loses its identity completely, having been taken into the collective. Yeah. So this is the argument.
argument against organizations like the EU or the UN mm-hmm. that bring in different nations because then you fall under their rule and you have one governing body and that means that everything becomes sterilized and all the cultures that you've built over over, over hundreds of years mm-hmm. goes by the wayside in the name of progress and that's not a good thing because certain people want to be connected with their culture because that's part of your identity but if you want to be part of a globalization industry then you can't have your own individual identity you have to work for the collective that's pretty good yeah well then but yeah that narrative is now being addressed a lot more i think rick and morty one of the key narratives there is that rick is very much an individualist Mm -hmm. he really believes that people should be allowed to make their own mistakes and do things like that and and i think the whole threat that came in and the first episode of season three really drives that home it's it's a weird kind of participation-based society where Jerry can get a job just because he wants one. And, you know, I got a promotion today. I got a promotion today. Like, that's his whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a critique of the mediocrity society that he has, but it's also uh, kind of a scrutinization of that homogenous culture. But America has never, ever, ever practiced that very well. They've always said, be American or... Be gone. Oh. They've 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 always had that, but it's interesting. But that's like I'm America I'm sorry. I won't I won't apologize for that one. Yeah, take that, the, America. The American doctrine has always been American excellence. That's American exceptionalism. That's that's what it is. You're you're Manifest either destiny. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I suppose. Oh. Um, you're either with us or against us, and I think that doctrine is coming back. But I think our culture has so many different elements of immigration now that it's hard to figure Our out culture. which the collective human culture right um you know all of us um our culture well no Irish lads just stay Irish you yeah. can you no can strip you all mean. that back <laughs> but any Jesus. Irish person I've ever met who emigrates becomes more Irish yeah we, we I like I am so Irish in every second sentence out of my mouth when I'm in Florence is do you know what do you know what sure, sure I can drink more cause I'm Irish I swear yeah. to god it's insufferable um but yeah, it's just an interesting thing. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that's handled over time. I know different. I think alternative comics do a much better job of. Um, I'm not telling you. All oh, right, okay. Um, I think alternative comics do a much better job of telling immigration stories than current comics, mm-hmm. but um, or big comics, but you know, actually looking at the thing that your mic is propped on, Saga is a great Saga's story a of example, of. Yeah immigration and especially difficult to immigrate to places mm. like they're always on the run they are refugees mm. by any other name yeah. um so it's fascinating saga is a great example of that oh we should talk more about saga damn we'll it. Do it next time ben let's wrap it up there tell people what we're talking about next week and see if they have any suggestions yes yeah, so we have an interesting topic coming up next week um that it's was given opinion, to us ben. by okay fair enough uh that was given to us by a long-term uh listener and friend of the podcast um she posed a question to me the other day while we were both working. Um, what pop culture things were you exposed to too early? Um, she gave a fantastic example of having watched Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, when she was nine, which is a completely inappropriate thing for a nine-year-old girl to watch. And uh-huh. she blames it largely on 90% of her personality. Her <laughs> words, not mine. Yep. Um, but we want to know what pop culture things... Um, have affected you what did you watch way too young what did you suffer through and didn't realize shaped your tiny little mind i have a few bands um, yeah next week. The, 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 something that will <laughs> something that rhymes with a famous banana um fife um pfeiffer that, that doesn't rhyme life doesn't rhyme michelle pfeiffer michelle pfeiffer um <laughs> But yeah, uh, anyway, let us know down below what you think. Um, 
Are we you do, an immigrant? We don't. Are you? <laughs> what we don't want here. I don't want any pro-Trump comments. I don't want any bloody immigrants are ruining the country comments. Keep them the feck away from our comment channel. Don't, don't support that kind of behavior. Get are lost. An, are you an immigrant? Do, do you, you have not superpowers? <laughs> How has being an immigrant affected your superpowers? If you are an immigrant and have superpowers, we were always fans. <laughs> yeah. What about that World Cup as well? Leave yeah, a let, down let below. us know about that ludicrous display next week. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's all from us. Bye. Yeah, bye everybody. Where's my mouse? Where's your thingy?